0: welcome everyone to another episode of the middle talk gaming podcast uh, this week we are back with another special guest uh, welcome
1: ash hi thanks for having me awesome awesome and
0: as usual uh i won't forget this time to <laughs> welcome my co-host robin hi robin hello dennis hello ash
1: hello robin
0: all right miss ash please introduce yourself
1: um, okay. Uh, my name is Ash Parrish. Uh, I am a video games reporter. I write for The Verge, which is a part of Vox Media Network. So, your polygons, your eaters, your esp nations, um, part of that media group, um, formerly of Kotaku. Um, I've been writing about video games now full time for maybe about a year and some change, and freelance for about four years before that. And I write about all things video games most things video games
0: not all things most things awesome awesome i have been reading your work since i think you were freelance and stuff so (laughs) yeah it's good stuff (laughs) thank you yeah um so can you tell us a bit about like how you got started why I'm, i'm always i'm always curious about like why uh writers like write like why writing why not like what pushed you over the edge to like you know what i want to write about video games and post my thoughts online
1: <laughs> yeah it uh, it's a certain special sickness to decide that you want to you know subject yourself to writing about video games and all the various people that have opinions about that but um i i've always been a writer i've always loved writing um i've been you know writing one way or another since i was um a young age and as I got older, I kind of got away from it and pursued other things. I went to school for history. Um, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I didn't. Des- I decided not to be a teacher. Um, I got a job right out of college, you know, to sit down desk and. You know, it was fine. It was great because before that I was poor. And after that, I got paid a decent salary or at least what passed for decent for me at the time. But I went to work every day and I would sit down at my desk and I would burst into tears because I'm like, this isn't what I want to do at all. This is terrible and boring. And people come to this job to die like (laughs) it was a good job. It was a good job that took care of its people and paid well but it was like a place where you go to sit for the rest of your life until you die just collect a paycheck until you die and i didn't want to do that and at the same time um i'm i'm from the united states and um this was at the same time that uh, trump got elected and i'm like okay well the world is on fire and we're all gonna die obviously and i don't want to die chained to this desk so i might as well make you know my professional career worth something. So I decided to go back to writing and um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go full bore into this and do this the best I can to see if I can make a living out of it and uh i freelanced for many years you know getting my learning what it was like how to do it and how to pitch and all that stuff um you know just online casually when i should have been doing like the work i was paid for <laughs> um i i landed some uh i i started a blog and um got some opportunities out of that applied to some jobs got some other opportunities out of that that you know increased my portfolio and it just it was just me slowly plugging away at that freelance life until you know finally one day in 2020 i got the gig at kotaku and my life was forever changed so yeah i guess i would say a a reason as to why is because i've always loved video games i've always loved writing i didn't want to die doing something i didn't want to do so i decided to marry the two and it ended up working out for me
0: awesome awesome so when you were doing the freelancing like did you stop your full time job completely or like you were doing them at the same time
1: I would frequently do them at the same time. Um, my job was very easy. I was in customer service and I was very good at my job. So I would often multitask. Um, like I, I have memories of like sitting and watching E3 while I'm supposed to be working, because it's in the middle of the workday here. So I would watch E3 in the middle of the day, like working on like an assignment to cover something that happened at E3 while I was doing my other work. So it was frequently a case of just like, shadow or you know dual boxing both at the same time and i would come home and i would do you know i would clock out of my regular job and come home and clock into my other job where i all i would do is write and that was my life for a couple of years until i was finally able to make it work full-time sounded hectic it was a, it was a very it's very hectic yeah i would not recommend it um <laughs> Sometimes that is the reality for people who need to pay bills, but also have something they want to do. Um, but, you know, I guess, reminder to take care of yourself. Um, you're no good to anybody if you burn out. And there were a couple times where I burnt out. So uh, don't do that. Don't be like me. Don't, don't do that that way. Find smarter, healthier ways to do something like that.
0: <laughs> so what kind of um articles would you say you specialize in or do you like to do everything is there a kind of other subjects that you that you'd say are an expert in or are there subjects that you feel you want to write more about
1: i wouldn't call myself an expert on a lot of things like there are very there are games that i'm very knowledgeable of so if anything that's happening that's like mass effect or dragon age or overwatch or uh, final fantasy related I'm, I'm very good. I've loved those games for my entire life. Like I, I can confidently write about that. Um, I don't like tech stuff. So anything that has to do with like specs or frame rates or, you know, ray tracing or anything like that, I automatically clock out of. Thankfully, I have colleagues that that's what they're all about. So they can cover that stuff for me. But um, as far as um, like my expertise, I, I really... Um, enjoy and i feel like i am good at covering um like marginalized communities so as you know like video gaming is a very white male space and i am neither of those things so i i have a a, an affinity for covering what black women are doing in video games whether they're streaming or black women characters or anything that's like focused on uh, black culture i like writing about those and i'm i like to say i'm particularly at least decent at it That that's that's my beat as it were or what i like to call my beat
0: would you say there is like a an audience for that like what what, have you noticed is it like compared to your not not that it's run of the mill but but compared to your normal run of the mill type articles would you say there's as much an audience for uh that kind of writing as well
1: absolutely yeah i mean we we know that you know like i said video gaming is a very white male dominated space but white men are not the only people who play games and the articles that i write and the way that i write them are talking to people who are not white men i like to put my language so uh in america we have something we call aave or african-american vernacular english or or slang or ebonics um if you remember that term from the 90s which you guys probably don't because you're probably too young for that um <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm just making an assumption there uh hopefully um uh, maybe you're not that young you what you guys what like 22 best <laughs>
0: i'm, I'm I, 51 I, I, I,
1: Oh okay, okay. So like we're co- we're cohorts, yeah. So yeah. okay, all right. I'm sorry. Well, or you know, whatever. Anyway, sorry. <laughs>
0: um, moving on.
1: Yes, moving in on. In my mind, um, I'm
0: 21, so that's perfectly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. Um, so I like to write in ways that may not be understandable to people who do not necessarily speak that language, and and that's okay. Like. Not everything can be for everybody. Sometimes it's for a targeted audience and that's the audience I'm speaking to. And I've increasingly found that they find that stuff and they resonate with that stuff. And that's why I write about what I write about in the language that I do. So that's really important to me as uh, as a journalist to make sure that other people, people like us, black people, uh, people of color, queer people, know and understand that there are people in this industry that are talking directly to you. And I want, I want them to feel safe and acknowledged and recognized.
0: You yeah, know, it's, I think that's, I think one of those articles or a, a succession of them is how I like, quote, unquote, found you like I re, I'll read a piece <laughs> and then I, it's something that I always do, I guess not everyone does, this. I always check who the author is. So I'd read a piece, check the author. Then I think I read another one. I'm like, I, this name has popped up a couple of times. So <laughs> yeah, people definitely do notice. Um, well, I notice it anyway. Um, and i think it's, a,
1: it's for you to notice.
0: Yeah, I think it's a pretty good initiative. Um, I'll, do you find though that, well, this is something that I've, because um, I, I freelance as well. And this is something mm-hmm. that I've bumped into is where, Um, I'm expected to write and or be knowledgeable or be a monolithic voice on sub-Saharan African gaming. And sometimes I just want to write about Dota. You know, like, I just love video games, man. Can I just write about why I like something? Do you find, do you have that as well? Or is, like, what's that like for you?
1: So I understand the phenomenon that you're talking about. A lot of times, especially because the newsrooms of these places that I've worked are very white, um, very male, Kotaku we'll less so now um, than it has been in the past, there's a pressure because you know people write what they know and these are white people so they write about what white people know. But Um, because you're the Black voice and you see something and you see that uh, this doesn't get coverage because, you know, the people that are doing the writing don't have the cultural knowledge to write authoritatively about it. So there's a pressure upon you to like, okay, well, guess I got to do this. And that is absolutely what happens. That's a pitfall that um, sometimes I fall into. It's exhausting, um, because you're right. Like sometimes all I want to do is like I don't want to talk about George Floyd, you know, or or this video game developer did something racist, or Twitch decided to not include Black people in their advertising of a game that was being celebrated specifically for its blackness. I'm talking about Death Loop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I get that, and that's just I, I am fortunate that I have the ability to say no if there's something that is like I just don't want to deal with it I don't have to and my editors um both at Kotaku and now at The Verge have always been very supportive of me um I guess that's something that you have to reconcile with yourself if you it might be a little bit more difficult for freelancers because you know usually what you'll have you'll have are these people who are like, I don't want to be like the rest. I don't, I, I understand that there's a problem. It, like, you know, editors, these are who, who are by and large white dudes or white women we are like, I, I want to be a good ally. So I want to champion marginalized voices from marginalized whatever. And they feel the need that they have to get like, okay, we got to get a, somebody black or somebody Latino or somebody trans to write about this black Latino or trans thing. And at time, and and that's, you know, where you guys, where freelancers step in. And sometimes you're like, bro, I just want to write about something else and what i would encourage freelancers to do is just step up and say yes thank you i you know would love to write for your outlet or whatever or cover the story for you but i also think that i have opinions about x y or z that have absolutely nothing to do with my race or my marginalized identity let's talk about how we can get those words on the page instead and uh an editor worth their salt will recognize that and, and let you do what it is that you want to do.
0: Mm, 100%. And something that I've, uh, figured over the years is, um, and this took a long time for me to, <laughs> to get is, um, uh, if you have different people with different experiences and you're looking at the same thing and you all told them to write an essay on it, you're going to get different like responses, you know, and, and I, mm-hmm. and I find that very fascinating you know because everyone has comes from a different background and they um they pull they pull from different sources so i I always find it interesting um it's why i like twitter (laughs) that's one of the good things i like about is like if there's something you know the latest mcu movie or whatever getting points of views from different people and and it's it's just so interesting to me
1: yeah, that's that's a Twitter uh, often causes a lot of psychic damage, but there are good things about it, and that is one of those good things for sure. Yeah, that's it. I think I want to take you
2: back to that part about you said something about the fav- your favorite. Uh, he asked about your favorite type of stuff to write, right? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that uh, yes, it's content meant for you know black people, marginalized communities, and so on. Mm-hmm. Yep. I also actually had this question written down every type of content, <laughs> but uh, from a different point of view. Like, uh, when you write articles, okay, when you write articles, you're obviously going to have like different types of articles. You know, yep. oh, yeah, uh, opinion, review, whatever, news, whatever, the um, news style pieces, uh, analysis, and all that sort of stuff. That's what I wanted to know. Like if um, what you like to write from that point of view, if you get what I mean.
1: Oh, okay. So like you're asking if I, how do I prefer to write reviews or analysis pieces that, do I understand you correctly? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a good question. Um, I actually don't really like writing reviews, like formal reviews. I don't know why. Like I, I think, I don't know why, like I I enjoy playing a game and I enjoy writing about a game, but I don't think I enjoy writing formal reviews of them, but I still like writing about them. So I think what I would say is that my, my favorite kind of thing are like analysis pieces. Some of my favorite things to write about are character creators because I love, I love character creators for some reason. Like I remember those old dress up games from like the Flash um era of the internet, you know? So I, I I I like creating characters and I like seeing, especially with like those big fancy graphical engines, you know, what they can do and the choices that they give you. And some of my favorite things I've ever done have been breaking down these character creators to see if they are, you know, even though they 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 purport to give you these wealth of options, do they really? Like um, I remember reviewing the Cyberpunk character creator because Cyberpunk 2077 was this game that was like telling itself like you can be anything, and and um and the question is can you really? And you know the answer to that was a little bit of yes and no. And one thing even within that breaking that down even a little bit more is I really I'm passionate about hair in video games, which is a really weird thing to say and a very odd thing to focus on. But, you know, one of my life's longest frustrations is getting character creators that just don't give a shit about Black people's hair. So when, you know, these, these, these companies are saying, like, you can have thousands of customization options, but it's the same, you know, same four or, you know, 1A hairstyle over and over again in three colors. And you never, you know, you don't get skin shades darker than a paper bag you know i like writing about those and and these are the things that people don't really think about when they think about like diversity in gaming and i and i that's just those are the kinds of articles that i really enjoy um just like just like you know taking one thing you know about a video game and just like expounding upon it um like that's just that that's what i get really excited about writing well yeah. i think
0: that 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 answers my
1: question <laughs> i'm glad <laughs>
0: Yeah, the character Thank creator you. thing is actually pretty annoying. And there was that RDC old skit recently, which is like spot on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I hope that they uh, improve with that because there have been some shocking character creators, man. Like, you you can't improve unless you've got what's this?
2: That, uh, Black voices in the game studios.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, and and you know, and Black writers and, and journalists saying like, hey, this is an oversight here, you know? I, I remember, and it's not just, you know, Black people, it's, it's about like disabilities, like people with disabilities because one thing that sticks out in my mind is I remember uh, writing about Baldur's Gate, um, the character creator, which I thought was pretty decent. Um, and I was thinking like, you know, It would be really nice if we just went beyond like, okay, you've, you've, you've mastered, or at least you've thought about adding different textures of hair. Now let's take it a step further. Let's add different body types. Cause you know, usually you can only be like rail thin in these games. Let's think about, you know, increasing the the body types that you can choose from. Let's think about like, uh, adaptability devices, like does this person have um, like a missing limb or maybe they need a hearing aid. And people are like, well, you can't put a hearing aid in high fantasy, so of course you can. If you say you can't, you just lack imagination. And one of the things that like stood uh, stood out to me was that I got somebody, like somebody was like so annoyed with the idea that I was advocating for like disability options and character creators that they made like a 30 minute long video like (laughs) trashing me like, specifically about that, I'm like, I, I don't understand how asking for more representation from people who don't often see it is enough to make you that mad. Like, I, I don't understand that at all. Because it, it only benefits, like, more people, you know? Uh, I, I
2: just...
1: Yeah. Like, I just, I just want that opportunity to see oneself in the thing they enjoy for everyone. And that goes beyond just like having black skin tone and, you know, different textures, hair. It means disability, it means different body types. It means a whole different, you know, a whole, you know, wealth of things.
0: That kind of uh, carries me to my next question, which is how do you deal with feedback, both negative and positive?
1: So, um, I'll, I'll tell you, um, how I deal with negative comments is I don't, <laughs> I try not to anyway. Um, I, I y- being a black person on the internet, specific, specifically a black woman means that you, even before I did anything that I've ever done with video games, I know that people are going to give me shit for whatever, just because. So it, it makes it easier to deal with when I get shit from people for 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 an article or whatever. I understand that nobody, if anybody is engaging with my work in bad faith, I don't have to deal with them. So when people are asking me, well, why do you have to mention that this person is black or, or you know the nothing that doesn't bother me at all. There will be times I will say where I'll be caught off guard and we'll have an episode or whatever where I'll, I'll feel really bad about something or, you know, have to take a break or step away. Mm-hmm. And I've thankfully been um, supported when that has happened to me. Um, but most of the time doesn't bother me none. Um, I, But that's not the same as like ignoring valid criticism. Um, you have to be aware of what is being when someone is engaging with you in bad faith and 99% of the time, it's probably somebody engaging with you in bad faith. And the other time it's people who are making, maybe not making sure, but people who might say things that might make you have to understand a topic a bit differently. Like I I try to be as inclusive um, in my writing as possible. And I know that there will be times and there have been times where I've like forgotten to keep that inclusivity in mind. And that's what I carry forward with me uh, when I write. So the, most of the time, it's just noise drowned out. There's another part of the time where sometimes you do have to listen to what's being said because all it'll do is improve your ability to write because it'll give you something new to think about. So yeah, I mean, if you can, just like I said, you can't let you can't let the bad comments get to you because we would never get anything done. Uh, Just learn to recognize when someone is engaging with you in bad faith and then chuck them in the bin. And if they're not, listen to what they have to say and see if that changes any held beliefs that you've already had.
2: That's an interesting way to take it, because, you know, I've noticed it it, it gets game journalists have, you know, get it pretty rough. And then on top of that, you're, you're a black woman. So it's like, I can I can imagine that, yeah, that there are times when it's it's not easy.
1: Yeah, I mean, and most of the time, you'll know if you're writing something that will piss somebody off, so all you have to do is just hit the publish button and go do something else. Like, you have that luxury. It's like, oh, I know this will bring the trolls to my door, so I'm going to close my door. I'm going to send this out into the world and then close my door right behind it, and then you just have a peaceful day.
0: Yeah. You mentioned YouTubers. Like making these big, these long, ranty-type response uh, video things. Has there ever been an occurrence where, let's say, um, another journalist has uh, has responded or written a a response piece to you that's critical, uh, uh, or that you have written in response to another journalist that's critical? And how how do you engage in that? Is there like some sort of um, unwritten ethical rules that you have to go about to do something like that.
1: So, with stuff like that, um it's not I tend not to. Um the the thing with game journalists and I'm sure most journalism is that the pool is pretty small. We all know each other. So, and we're all for the most part friends with each other or at least cordial or, you know, whatever. We're all colleagues, right? So, we're not in the business of tearing each other's down or, you know, criticizing other people's work um or anything like that so um we if there's something that i disagree with uh and it's not a big deal i'll let it go if it's something that i disagree with and it is a big deal i'll either if i'm comfortable enough i'll bring it up to the person or if i'm not that's what a private twitter is for and i recommend every journalist get one <laughs> don't you think
0: though that uh, it's um but, but don't you think that it's kind of a, a, a disservice if, let's say, let's say I wrote something, right? And I wrote something about uh, black women in video games and it was just straight up wrong and ignorant. Don't you think that there is a um, a service that you would be giving by responding publicly to me? In this instance, we are already colleagues, right? Like, we may not be friends, but we are colleagues. And I know that if you did that, you wouldn't be Doing that with uh malcontent, right? Like don't you think there's no. a certain do you think there's a certain like um service that you're providing the public by saying, Oh, look, he did this, but the actual correct thing is this, and I'm saying it publicly because everyone else who may have gotten that opinion, which is false, like re readjust your your thought process.
1: So I understand what you're saying. Um anything that's egregious for f- First of all, I'm pretty sure that I have curated my colleague and friends list well enough that anybody, I wouldn't be friends with anybody that would say something like particularly egregious. Um, Even still, uh, so like if somebody's like writing racist trash, I'm absolutely going to call it out with full names. Like that's not a big deal. But if this is like a person that I know or a person whose work I followed or whatever, and they may make like a misstep or something, it's... I think it's better, honestly, to to, to do that in, in private, like privately, you know, to, to make them understand the error, you know? I, I we, we get into this because, you know, it's all fueled by social media and social media is clicks and whatever, and not all clicks are good clicks. I mean, you know, the people in the C-suite may not necessarily agree because it all affects the bottom line, but I think we need to get away with, you know, dunking on people on, on social media for clout. They, like 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 i said under no uncertain terms anybody who's writing absolute garbage should be dunked on twice but if this is like not um like a more nuanced like mistake or error or whatever i think we need to get away from that and try to like talk to people more or at the very least not name names and just subtweet the hell out of them which is (laughs) <laughs> kind of sometimes <laughs> what I'll do depending on the, the severity of the error. But honestly, that's a situation it really depends on what is being written and it, it really depends on that and your relationship to the person who's writing it. If, if
0: that's the case then, don't you think that when there's something dumb that some random internet person says and then all the big games journalists are co-tweeting it, don't you think that's like the same thing? Wouldn't it be better if they just didn't? the same
1: thing. Yes, it would absolutely be just 100% better if they just didn't. Like anytime someone like comes out and says like, oh, look, this game developer is lazy. Look, this fruit doesn't break the right way if I throw it or some stuff like that. And it gets a billion retweets by all the big names. It's so dumb. I wish they would stop. Like it's something that you have to actively unlearn because, you know, we get this like dopamine feedback of like, yeah, I'm joining in on this, you know, stomp fest. And it's like, it's so dumb. And it's like, so anti, it's not productive. Like that that opinion doesn't matter. This person only had like six followers and now they're the Twitter character of the day for <laughs> no real good reason. And it should just be like, oh my God, just roll your eyes and keep moving. Like I, I'm making it a point as I go through this journey to like stop doing that stuff. And it's made me better or not better, like as a better person, but like my mental health has improved dramatically.
0: I, I wish we ignored that more often.
1: <laughs> yeah, mm. exactly.
0: Wish some of those takes. Although there's a few times when I think um, the responses exactly. to them come out of that. Yeah. So like I remember there's that tweet with the insomniac one, and then I think a week later um, there was a thread of like how different, like just game dev tricks, right? And you're like, wow, this this is amazing. So. I, I, um, yeah Yeah
1: Yeah. no I, I totally get that
0: Which kind of brings me back to my Second point or to my next point Which is related to that um, What's with all the secrecy in like The games industry mm-hmm. Like what is up with that like don't you think that, Like if you compare it To like Hollywood right uh, start From production to the press mm-hmm. Like production wise like we know We knew that the Matrix was being made like f- Five years ago like we knew this So there was no way to, like, quote, unquote, leak that The Matrix 4 is coming out, right? So from the production side, even to, like, press stuff, uh, it's all pretty, well, fairly open. So what's up with all the the secrecy? Like, why?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. That's maybe not one I can answer. Like, I know that um, it's the difference between, like, a movie and a video game is that, you know, a movie can change dramatically between start and finish, um, but that doesn't happen very often, but a video game absolutely can. And I I, I I think, you know, there's this like secrecy because like nothing is set in stone until it is almost time to go. But honestly, that's a good question. I've never been asked that before. I don't necessarily know why game devs are as secretive as they, is, as they are, I guess, to protect, I don't know, ip or whatever i I just always accepted it as something that is what it was but when you talk about it in comparison like to the movie industry it's like yeah you're right like movies are pretty transparent like you can um you know that nobody freaks out if like photos from a movie set are leaked but everybody freaks out when you know assets from a video game are leaked or whatever so i I've, i've never thought about that before i might ask some questions uh after this just to find out why
0: Awesome. How you deal with or come to terms, I'll not come to terms with, how you deal with like PR from the publishers, right? Like, publishers. yeah, like if you, when you, because I've received some press releases for anime stuff before and mm-hmm. I've seen um, articles just, it's just the press release. So, like, in the age of the internet now where they, where, Ubisoft or whatever, any other publisher can just post that on their Twitter. Is it is there any use for someone like you to just post that again? Like, where is the distinction? Where's the balance?
1: Okay, so your question was um, you wanted to know, like, what is what is the purpose? of receiving a like a press release and if if companies are putting out press releases why do they need to i guess essentially go through the middleman of of video game journalists am i understanding that correctly yeah something like that and
0: also like um do you personally see the um the use for that is are you allowed to put a spin on that press release because sometimes i see them the exact same release from the outlets and the publisher itself so what's what's your personal take on that and what is the actual protocol and why does that happen
1: so press releases are like a formal way of obviously announcing something has happened or something is being done right um the the we the way that I use press releases is that it fills in like much needed information like detail information that I may if like okay Phoenix Wright uh is getting a new game, the the that's the news, right? And it's my job to write the news. The press release re- pertaining to that news allows me to fill in little details more than just like the the just the reporting of the news, right? Um, it, it's our job to, I guess. Depends. It, it is our job to interpret and contextualize things like press releases. So, Phoenix Wright, using the Phoenix Wright example, Phoenix Wright is getting a new game. Okay. um What I would write about then after receiving that that kind of press release is I know that you know the last couple Phoenix Wright games have only come out on mobile, and this will be the first time uh, a new Phoenix Wright game will be out on a regular console. You know, stuff like that. Mm. It, it's our job to put that put the news in a press release in context with the larger picture. Um, I know that there are places that just, you know, one for one publishes uh, a, a press release because that's just what they do. And I guess that's fine. Um, I really don't have an opinion on it one way or another, but it's it's our job to, to contextualize and press releases help us, they fill in the details, but it's our job to put that in the bigger picture. So that's why you don't see regular or like not regular or normal sites but like bigger sites just print press releases that's that's no that's no fun I mean that's not why people read us anyway they read us because they want to hear our opinion or a particular take on on a piece of news or whatever or they don't know about a subject and they want to know more about a subject and our the way that we write about it we include that information from the press release while adding it like I said with more context so that that's why that is a thing that happens. Um, I'm trying to remember what the second part of your question was. Did I answer all your, all of your questions? I think
0: that's pretty much all of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Although I guess I can add like, um, uh, it's sort of related when it comes to something like, um, reviewing embargoes or I think today I saw an embargo for, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, like the yep. gameplay mm-hmm. thing. I don't get why stuff like that is embargoed. Like, because to me, the way I the way I look at it, 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 it comes off looking like okay, I get why the, the publishers do that. So that there's this big like just wave of of news about their product at one go. So if for someone like me who like follows it, pretty much all the big sites and some blogs i'm getting like 30 feeds of the same thing but i suppose they're looking at it from the point of view of that one guy who just follows kotaku or that one guy who just follows vgc Mm -hmm. or whatever So, so they want that news to come out at one go for everyone i get that do the journalists have to follow that is there a good reason for that
1: Um, Yeah, if you break embargo, there is a good chance that that developer will not have a relationship with you anymore. Um, You, and, you know, that's fine. That, I mean, Kotaku famously has been blacklisted by Bethesda for, I think it's Bethesda, Bethesda or Ubisoft. One of them. Yeah. I think it's Ubisoft. Can't remember anymore. Because of something that happened so many years ago. And that means that we don't, or they, sorry, I still have a tendency to say we even though I don't work at Kotaco anymore and sometimes it makes me sad, um, they, they don't get codes early or they don't get access to interviews with like developers or talent or whatever and that's fine. I mean they're perfectly capable of still writing about the news and going about their business normally without that kind of access. It, it's not, you know, because at the at some point, what journalists try to break away from and what some journalists fall into the trap of is being PR for these companies. You don't want to do that. You don't want to just give them free PR. They have PR. They pay people for that kind of stuff. What you want to do is you want to uh, like people come for your informed opinion about something. And it's your job to you know have that opinion and express that opinion, you know, whatever. And you can do that easy, easier with uh, with a with a nice you know, cordial relationship with the people who make these games. It's not necessary. It's not it's nice to have. So, you know, when you when you bust an embargo, you kind of mess that up, you know, mm-hmm. and it could have this ripple effect where, you know, developers maybe shy away from, you know, doing these kinds of events in the future, meaning everybody loses. Or it just means your your specific outlet doesn't get access anymore. Like I said, not particularly a big deal because That's kind of relationship isn't required to to do, you know, the job, the ethical way it's supposed to be done. It just makes things easier. You know, so we try not to break embargo, but mistakes happen.
0: Don't you think it's a little bit uh, weird when they now are kind of seeking to get this sort of PR like coverage from independent um, like bloggers and YouTubers and stuff?
1: I would call it weird like okay. so from what I remember of the questions that you gave me before we sat down and had this conversation, you were one of the questions you asked is like you know what what do you how do you deal with you know um, games journalism are bad? You know, and my answer to that question was like, you know, I ignore them. And part of that question is what you know. I, I imagine is what do you do when people say that? Oh, you guys are paid shills or whatever, yeah. or like you're you're being paid off by the company for this, that, or the other. Um, it's always funny when that conversation comes up. Uh, that's not the case. Like I like I just got finished saying that. You know, it's nice to have a good relationship with you know publishers or developers so you can have access. That is not necessary. Um, we are not paid, um, we're, we're not paid. Like getting a free game code <laughs> is nothing. Like that's, I mean, it, it's it's nice for people who can't afford to pay for games, but, uh, and you know, that kind of stuff, but it's like, we're not paid at all. And if, but if you wanna talk about someone or like uh, someone who is paid to to tell you to just to, like blow smoke up your ass, uh, it's the YouTubers. And I'm not saying that all you, like, you shouldn't trust YouTubers or whatever. It's just that there's a different categorization for them versus like game journalism's game journalists. Like we try to be, um, I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth. I'm not sure, but they're the ones that like, depend on keeping that relationship, um, nice and whatever, because they get the perks for it. Right. We, we, like having that um that like nice relationship but it's like not necessary and I guess to me I feel like it's more necessary for YouTubers to say nice things about developers when they have a relationship with them because that's how they get you know codes or whatever because they're like a different like categorization. But journalists are like I said like they're different. Like they they I guess we're supposed to be objective which I kind of don't agree with. Like, we're people at the end of the day. You can't like always like take this neutral ground in, you know, whatever, whatever, because I don't know, people aren't like that. I don't think to, to go back to your original question. I don't really think it's, it's weird that, you know, game or developers are approaching like independent bloggers or whatever. And like, Hey, here's a code And honestly, I would think of it as like, you know, thinking of it as, you know, what kind of initiative the, the developers have, like, do they want to get more diverse voices talking about their product or I don't know, something like that. Like, that's how I would think of something like that. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. It's, it's complicated. No, I have to definitely. think more about, yeah, I have to think about my relationship with video game publishers a little bit more in depth after that question. Because it's a lot of it is this is just the way that it's always been. So um, what I I don't want to continue to perpetuate, you know, old systems that may need some retinkering. So I'm going to think about that a little bit more uh, going forward. But I don't hold, you know, games journalists as being like a more moral or more neutral force than video game YouTubers. But I definitely want to dispel the notion that we're paid to write glowing reviews or whatever. Like that's just not the case. Yeah. And it always makes me laugh when people say that. That's
2: something which I which always gets me riled up. The whole, oh, we can trust the YouTubers. They are friends, but they're probably, you know, they're the more likely ones to have gotten benefits on the side.
1: Yeah. Like I think they benefit more from that than games journalists do. I mean, for, not for the most part, but tradi- traditional games journalists, like people who work for larger sites have a, a network to rely on. But if YouTubers, I guess, I always think of them as like this kind of like individual, like solo effort. So they don't have that support system. So it's more, I guess, pressing for them to be, to make nice or whatever because that's how they, you know, get the, get the clicks, get the ads, you know, keep going to make money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's like less so for us, but we all, I guess, benefit from having a, a a nice, you know, cordial relationship with these people, because like I said, that's the way it's always been, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't care about pissing them off, but you don't want to make it like, a habit. Unless they do something really shitty like Blizzard's been doing. Yeah. (laughs) I think uh,
2: following on from that uh, comment you made where you said you wanted to dispel that notion of all YouTube uh, 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 journalists being paid off and whatever. Are there any other common misconceptions that you'd like to clear up for our audience about
1: (laughs) uh, game journalism? That's, that's a fun question. Um, so one thing I, I want to clear up is that this is not an easy job. It is, first of all, it is a job. Um, I, I, I have very, I come from very, you know, traditionalist background. Um, my mother doesn't get it at all, doesn't understand it. I've finally, you know, after so many years have gotten her to come around to understanding like this is a real and legitimate job that is actually a job that is very difficult. Um, I I don't, it always tickles me when someone says like, oh, you're a hack. I can't believe you were paid to write this or whatever. And I always say, yes, I was paid to write this handsomely. Um, It is, if you are not a writer, if you don't have that ability, like writing isn't easy. Writing is not easy. Like I cannot stress that enough. I love writing. I've been doing writing since I'm 16. I'm like 34 now, I think, am not sure. Um, I've been doing it for a very long time and it has never been easy. It just, it's just not easy. So the idea that it's e- like, oh, video game journalists have it easy all they get to do is just like play video games and write about them. That is very difficult, especially when there are 60 million different games that are coming out all at once that all take 50 hours to complete that um you know you you have to also cover like whatever breaking news is happening or whatever like Nintendo is uh having a direct tomorrow that's 40 minutes long and now we're trying to figure out how we want to cover that and just thinking about how to cover stuff in a way that makes people want to read them so you can keep the lights on it's just like not an easy job at all I don't Sit on my butt all day playing video games and just deciding, you know, this is what I'm going to write about today or whatever. Uh, it's just, ugh. I love this job with all of my heart. I also hate this job, and it is a very difficult job. Like, it, it's it's very. It may sound confusing or contradictory or hypocritical to like say that, but. It's like any dream job, like people on the outside, looking in and say like, oh yeah, that's my dream job. And it is my dream job. It is also the hardest job I've ever had in my life. And this is coming from someone who has written and played video games for most of her life. It's not easy.
2: There's also the game, games journalists are actually not good at games thing.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, that's not a misconception. So what i want to say is you don't have to be good at video games to write about them like that is never a requirement anyone who tells you that's a requirement is a jerk you don't have to be good at them you don't i'm not good at them like i can't play an fps to save my life i enjoy playing them but i'm not good at them and there, there's a false assumption that you have to be very good and you have to have like knowledge, super deep knowledge going all the way back to the Jaguar, the Atari Jaguar or whatever, to be a quote unquote good video, video games journalist. And that's just patently false. It's not true. So um, we aren't good at video games. Sometimes we just aren't and that's okay. That doesn't make us bad at our jobs. It, it's not our job to be good at video games. It's our job to look at video games and to to write about them competently, to interpret them, to put them into context of our culture at large. That's our job. Our job is never to be, you know, like a speed runner or a guy who's really good at Dota or anything like that. Like, that's not our job. Our job is like what I said before, like we are to take what these games are, put them into the larger contracts. Talk about them critically. That's what we have to be good at. Not, you know, how many headshots can I get in Halo? So, another misconception. I'm, I'm more than comfortable with saying like I'm bad at video games. Sometimes that's okay. I'm still very good at my job. You know, An- another I guess misconception I would say is that you know video games journalists don't even like video games. We, if we didn't like them, we wouldn't be here. Like there are some parts and aspects of games or certain games that we don't like, but to say that we just, you know, love trashing, you know, Microsoft or Sony or whatever, or, you know, hate the games of a particular developer, Quantic Dream, um, <laughs> is, is we love video games. We love them too much. And that's why we do what we do. And if you love something, you have to be able to be critical of it. Like you cannot, I, I think you cannot claim to love something if you are unable. To be critical of it or are unable to hear criticisms of it that's not that's not love you know so we we absolutely love video games even if we talk shit about them
0: i think that's fundamental you know what i mean like i yeah. think that's super super critical for example i really enjoyed cyberpunk 2077 because i'm a cyberpunk nerd like throw me cyberpunk it could be like absolute dog shit, but because it's cyberpunk i'm gonna consume it but that doesn't mean I'm blind to the fact that it's dog shit, <laughs> you know?
1: So. I, I actually, um I play a little bit of cyberpunk and I really honestly believe that there are there are good bones there in that game that I think um, got covered up by like all the bloat and the hype and whatever. Like there's, there's, there were very interesting, good things about cyberpunk that just, got completely not completely. like people did talk about it you know when it came out like one my one um when I worked at Kotaku there was a person who was there um his name is Riley McLeod who wrote all the time about cyberpunk he loved that game like he loved that game because there were there were really good like and he would find things about that game that you know and that he would write about that no one else um would like was talking about because all they could talk about was Sorry, or CD Project Red did this, that, or the other, or whatever. And he loved that game. And and I really honestly believe that that is, there's a good game in there. And it, it, it honestly might end up being like a No Man's Sky situation. You know, No Man's Sky's game that came out right. that promised all of this stuff and was like a total flop at launch. But like five years later, it now fulfilled the promise uh at least i believe that was you know that it made when it first came out and it just made it just took a lot of time and some overhauling and i think that same thing can and might happen with cyberpunk or yeah with cyberpunk because like cd project red for the most part hasn't made a bad game like they made the witcher 3 and all of the amazing things that came out of the witcher 3 so they have it in there it's there It's just that this one got a little bit too big for its britches, and now they have to, you know, A, fix all bugs. And then once they get that out of the way, they can start to really develop the game that they wanted to develop. Give it time uh, with Cyberpunk, at least.
2: No, no, I was just saying, you called that thing about loving and hating games a sickness, you go. I've been following the industry and the hobby for so long. You know, it kind of sours you in some spots and you can't look at things the same way.
1: Video games has, for the longest time, uh, encouraged this kind of tribalism amongst its fans to where like anything that, if you like something, anybody, it it becomes a part of your identity. So if someone says something that uh, uh, says something bad about something you like, you kind of interpret it as them saying something bad about you and we have to, you know that's just the unfortunate way that it's been i mean look at the console wars that we're still having you know so many years later that was like developed by the console people themselves like Mm. you don't see uh console commercials anymore like calling out their competitors by name like they used to but you know back in the day like you know sega does what nintendo don't you know It, it started it, and because, you know, people back then usually only had one or the other, they usually, they rarely had both, like, you 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 kind of, like, built yourself up, like, I'm a Sega person, or I'm a Nintendo person, or I'm a Mac, and I'm a PC, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, we don't do that anymore because it's dumb, and it, it's created this, like, uh, identity crisis for these people. So if I say something bad about Xbox, you know, or if I say something that isn't glowing about Xbox, People will interpret that as me saying something negative about Xbox. And then my email will be unusable for a week. So, which is a thing that has happened.
2: (laughs) Oh, man.
0: (laughs) How how can, like, like, young Black women break into the industry? Like, specifically from our region, like Southern Africa. Like, what avenues are possible for that to happen?
1: There's never going to be a one size fits all answer to this question. And everything I say may not work for people, for all people. You know, I had a very unique and weird way that uh, I went about it, though, I guess looking at it from the outside, it looks fairly standard and traditional, whatever. What I will say is two things. You don't have to, you don't have to work for sites that don't pay you. You can, you can but don't look at those kinds of sites. Like if you're trying to write and somebody offers you a job that says, we'll pay you, I don't know, we'll pay you per click or we'll pay you $10 for, you know, an article or whatever, like a 500 word article or something like, you know, that kind of stuff, like those kinds Mm -hmm. of like job offers. You don't have to do that. Um, You shouldn't do that. If you, you, you can't afford to live like that, And the kind of work that those sites will require of you will probably grind your bones into dust. Um, People, if you want to make it into the industry, they don't care about where you've written. They care about what you've written. You can write anywhere as long as you have words on page. So if you are interested in getting into the industry, make a blog and write the things that you want to write about. And when it's time to apply for jobs, that's what you submit and if you're good at what you do those people will recognize that it doesn't matter if your name isn't on a masthead somewhere like it sometimes it does like it helps it helps but if you're good at what you do it doesn't matter where as long as you can do it okay Uh, like the biggest opportunity that ever fell into my lap, i wrote for minecraft for a long time and they paid very well by the way um and I got that gig because I wrote something on a personal blog that I had, that the Minecraft guy read that and was like, this is great, can you do that for us? When I applied for my job at Kotaku, I've, uh, I've done that a couple of times over the years. Um, the guy who hired me remembered me, not for any of the freelance pieces that I was paid for, but for a piece that I had on my personal blog that I just wrote. So if you are interested in the industry, you don't have to work for these predatory they're not all predatory i guess i should say <laughs> those sites those sites do good work there're just some sites that just can't afford to pay people like the way that they should be paid but they do you you will be able to tell when someone's trying to exploit you versus someone giving you what they can, uh, you know, all that they have, you know? Like places like Upper Crit or uh, Upcomers, those kinds of places, yeah, they don't pay like, you know, 200, $300 of an article, but they do good work, right? Mm. Um, so it's not, it's like a case-by-case evaluation basis, I guess, but those kinds of jobs, if you can't afford to do them because of a time commitment or you have another job or whatever, you don't have to, just write that would be the one thing that I would just say to anybody who's interested, just write, just write and keep writing and keep reading and, um, you know, hone your craft that way. And, you know, keep applying for, for jobs as best as you can send your pitches, um, elevate how or where you send your pitches. If you send your pitch to like a fairly known website, you know, one year, Next year, try to aim for something bigger and better, you know, like those kinds of steps. And as long as you keep moving forward, you'll get at least to a point where, you know, I can't say that, you know, you'll finally make it because all of this, everything that I have done is because I've been extreme, extremely lucky and in the right place at the right time. Nothing but any of that, like luck, like perseverance, hard work yeah they help but it's a lot of a lot of luck so and there's no way to account for luck so just make sure that what you're doing is solid and that you're still doing it and hopefully something will happen for you that's that's like the best advice that i can give because it's it's not easy it took me four years to 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 go from you know not writing anything to to having the jobs that i have and it was hard and i almost quit a couple times so the only thing I really honestly can say is just keep writing keep pitching keep moving forward and hopefully you'll be in the right place at the right time when the right opportunity happens awesome uh Robin I know you had um questions like your fun questions what are some of your fun questions well it's
2: it's the simple stuff which you already partially answered which is what do you like to play and what are you playing currently
1: oh okay um uh, what do I like to play? It varies. I think one yeah, thing... Anybody you talk
2: about Mass Effect, and I that.
1: Yeah, I, I do um, like playing like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, like those kinds of role-playing games. But one thing that I've found that I'm really enjoying about my journey as a video games journalist is that I come from like a less, like a poor, come from poor folk. Like we didn't have video games. And my mom wasn't really a big fan. So like I didn't get to play like the news releases when they came out or whatever and I had to be and when I got older and I got my own money I had to be very strategic about what I bought so like you know I could only buy a you know one video game every couple months or whatever and that would be and I and it had to be something that I knew that I was going to enjoy because I was going to drop 60 dollars on it or whatever but part of the fun of being a game journalist is I have access to everything and it's my job to cover as broadly as possible so I get to play games that are not necessarily stuff that I would have bought for myself before I became a games journalist you know I get to try games like Hades is one of my favorite games ever and it's not a game that I would have bought if I wasn't um if, if it wasn't my job to talk about video games like Deathloop is not a game that I would have tried to play if it wasn't my job to to play about video games. So one of the, the things that I really enjoy about this job, in addition to writing and covering, like pe- covering topics that don't normally get you know covered by, by the regular video game journalist news cycle, is just finding all the little things that I didn't get to experience before and experiencing them now. And that um, that includes like games that I would not have played, that like new games that I would not have played now and old games that I missed out on like your Zeldas and your old Mario games and stuff like that. Like that's, so I guess what I like to play is now a little bit of everything because I didn't have that option before.
0: Is there any um, quote unquote canon game that you've gone back to and been like, whoa, I get it. And also is there any canon game that you've gone back to and been like, what were you people on? Like, this is trash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A canon game that I've gone back to. That's a good question um huh
0: you know what I, hate I mean them. by canon game right like yeah yeah
1: I guess I would say like the like the Mario Galaxy games maybe they're those are really good they're really solid like what I really would like to do is like go back and play like KOTOR or something because that's like that's a Bioware game I love Bioware games everybody rants and raves about KOTOR but I've never played it so I'm really excited that they're remastering it. So I'll have that opportunity, like that kind of stuff. Like the the old Mario games are really good. Um, they still hold up really well. Um, uh, a Canon game that uh, is absolute trash is um, Bioshock Infinite. I know it's a little, <laughs> it's, a li- it's not that old to be considered a Amazing. Canon game, but, I know that a lot of people hold that as one of like the best games ever and I think it's absolute dog shit. So, there you go.
0: (laughs) I love that game. That's my game of the generation. But I understand. I totally get it. we've talked
2: about
0: all the time. I know. Like, it's it's our thing. I love that game so much. And the funny thing is that I can't play Bioshock 1 because of like I have a thing with dark aesthetic dark games. Like, if it's just too dark I, I kind of can't get into it but i'm Mm -hmm. super into like i mean you know me i'm super into politics and stuff so it was very interesting to see the politics obviously there are many writers but the politics of like ken levine which Mm -hmm. uh based off of his recent tweets etc he's kind of corroborated the politics of Bioshock infinite but yeah um I, i i found that interesting i found the game super interesting but yeah that's a that's a good shot i guess Although I think recently, like, I does anyone like that game? I feel like I'm the only one who like rates that game. The thing is,
2: after after Ken Levine's recent, uh, you know, outbursts, if I'll call them that, (laughs) a lot more of us who were always on the side of hey, there's something wrong with this game. I'm much louder.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like people still love Bioshock Infinite. So don't worry, you you, you still have plenty of company. It's just that, I, I no, <laughs> just no, sorry. I, I didn't realize that was one of your favorite games. This was totally not like scripted at all. I'm not just saying that just, you know, to have a laugh. Like I, I genuinely dislike that game. <laughs>
0: no, that's fair enough. Fair. That's super fair enough. I get, th- I go back to it like, every couple of years it's gameplay wise i think it, it super holds up i think it's uh, it's pretty good
1: beautiful game, yeah, game dog shit politics yeah
0: you know
2: once once that part happens and it starts to fall apart you know and the story just goes wherever it's going it's, it becomes really hard to ignore
0: that stuff <laughs> what's something you you went back to i guess that became like one of your favorite games Something that you, back. like, didn't expect, you're like, or a game that you played and you had super low expectations, and you're like, wow, this, this absolutely
1: slaps. It, I'm only going to say this because it's at the forefront of my mind right now. Um, the Toad Jam and Earl series from the old Sega Genesis is actually really fun. I, I didn't play that when it was first came out, but my partner has, like, one of those Genesis minis, so mm-hmm. I played that with him, and it has, like, multiplayer or whatever. Like, this is actually really solid for a very, very, very old Sega Genesis game. Oh, Another game that I've gone back to that still slaps, like the old Lion King game on the Sega Genesis. Still yeah. very good. Very, very good. Frustrating as hell, but it's very super good. frustrating. So that was the
0: first game that and I don't I, I would not do it now. I don't know how I did it. I hooked it up to my VHS. And that's the first like recording because I, I was at the last level and I'm like, I'll, I'll never get here ever again. So I somehow like recorded footage of me beating that game and I don't know where that VHS is but man, oh, that was wow. like because like it didn't have, like you couldn't save. And what would no, happen is like um, when you would like pause it, right? And then like leave but then what would happen is eventually like It would go off because either mom would be like cleaning the countertop or something and then like just remove the plugs and it's like
1: no mom please just leave (laughs) (laughs) i think everybody has that story
0: yeah (laughs) so yeah unfortunately we are running out of time it was super super nice to have you um we i definitely learned a lot
1: uh thank thanks for having me and thanks for giving me the opportunity it was really neat to talk to you guys I would, um when we're, when we're done here i'd love to like talk to you more but we'll we'll get to that after we click off awesome awesome awesome
0: Not for sure yeah I'm, I'm definitely down to talk more since this is like the first time that we've actually spoke we've been mutuals but, for a while
1: <laughs> yeah we have we have so i'm glad we finally got the opportunity to like connect in as much as you know we can connect across an ocean and a couple continents
0: so, yeah, once again, thank you very much for coming on, Ash. Um, thank you, Robin. <laughs> and yeah, you know, quick one, quick one, quick one, one more. Your game of the year so far.
1: Um, It's either going to be Chicory, A Colorful Tale, which nobody knows about. uh, Or is there anything else? It's Chicory, A Colorful Tale right now. Uh, We'll see what happens when I play Deltarune 2 okay that's that's those are my game of the years. So i've really heard good. about
0: chicory i want to i want to play it i thought it was on game pass it's not so i'm gonna have to buy that robin <laughs> your game of the year so far
2: have i, have I not said this
0: uh, no you haven't
2: anyway
0: Re- 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 return it's return Returnal.
2: it's still return oh, okay
1: seriously believe it or not that game is like crack
0: <laughs> okay
1: it's it's been a very good year for roguelikes I guess it has, I guess it has.
0: The only new release I've played this year is Four Minutes, so I am super waiting to play Sable tomorrow so that Sable can be my (laughs) guilty. But yeah, it's probably gonna be Life is Strange or Halo, you We'll
1: we'll see. see. Yeah,
0: we'll see. All right, thanks a lot.
1: Okay, thank you so much for having me, okay?